If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. By the way, this morning uh, is a result, uh, at least the sermon anyway, is a result of uh, a New Testament read-through that some of us engaged in um, during mid-February into mid-March. And something struck me in the book of Matthew that I really hadn't considered before because every time we approach this passage, it's always been taught to me in a way that um, you should pay your taxes. And uh, it certainly is that. Even in the New American Standard Bible, the heading above the passage starting at verse 15 says, A tribute to Caesar. And as I read and studied this, I changed that heading in my Bible. Um, and, it, and it says, a call to God. And we're going we're gonna to get to that this morning. This um, text happens shortly before the last week of Christ's life here on earth. And through the rise of his ministry, the Pharisees had been trying to trip him up, trying to trap him, trying to do away with him. And... Um, this time, their trap of choice was certainly political. Let's read the text together. Matthew 22, starting at verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent the disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, We know you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one. You are not partial to any. Then tell us, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And then he said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but render to God the things that are God's. And in hearing this, they were amazed. And leaving him, they went away. One of the issues um, that we have here with the Pharisees is they thought they had the perfect plan. They thought that if Jesus told them to pay the poll tax, that those who were following him would leave because they hated the poll tax. The poll tax was a tax upon all of the residents of the communities and provinces that were controlled by Rome, and the only people that did not have to pay them were Roman citizens. So they thought they had this perfect plan. If he said to obey Caesar... His followers would leave, but if, they, if he said to not pay the taxes ordered by Rome, they could turn him into the Romans, and he'd be arrested, and they would be, he would be done away with. These things perplexed them when he answered the way he answered. And again, most of the time when I've heard this sermon preached, it's always been about submitting to authority, which we ought to do according to First Peter 2, I believe, verses 13 and 14 and many others. But there's a much deeper meaning, and I would like to look at those, a bigger purpose. You can turn in your Bibles if you want. We're going to be covering a lot of Scripture, or you can just read along 
on the screen. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God said this. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. In Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it is written, uh, this is a written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, and he created a male and female, and he blessed them. And when he created them, he called them man. Genesis 9.16, that's wrong on your screen there. It's verse 16, I believe. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for the image of God has God made man. Moving to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 7. Man ought to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. And in James 3, 9. With the tongue we praise the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Understand that all of these passages are speaking to every human. Not just believers, Everyone that comes into existence is made in the image and the likeness of God. All of us. Those of us who are here and those who are out there that would never dream of walking into a church. We're all made in the image of God. But God takes it a step further with us who are believers, those of us who have received Christ. If you remember, I know that's hard to read. You can't see the little details there. But um, Ken used this word regenerate or regeneration in the last couple of weeks. And those who have received Christ, the Holy Spirit changes that heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Those of us who are followers of Christ, there's something else that's happening. While we're all made in the image of God, God says these things. Look at Romans 8, 29. From whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among the brethren. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18. But we all with unveiled face beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And Colossians 3.10. And have put on the new self, who is being renewed in the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Here's the thing. We're all made in the image of God, but those who are in Christ, that image is being perfected. And it will become perfect in the end. Crazy what God's doing with us. We're made in his image. We are the likeness of God. We have to think about a minute, what does this image mean? If you take a look at Psalm 39, 5 and 6, it says this, You have given me only a short life. My lifetime is nothing to you. Everyone's life is but a breath. People are like shadows moving about. This word shadows in the Psalms is the exact same word in Genesis used for image. Why does that matter? It matters because it's not a physical thing. 
And we have to understand that. This image that we're made in is not physical. So what is it? I'm just going to share a few with you for sake of time. But man and God are both spirit. In John 4.24 we read, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In order for us to worship in spirit, we must be spirit. Or we can't. While God is perfect in his spirit existence, He's given us a spirit as well. Next, in knowledge, 1 John 3, 19 and 20, we shall know by this that we are all, um, we are of the truth. Sorry, that is a long ways to read. (laughs) And shall um, shall assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For the Lord is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. In 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we know in part, therefore we prophesy in part. The issue is this. God knows everything. He is perfect in his knowledge, but he has imparted on us knowledge. We're made in his image. The last example for you is God is love, and we love. 1 John 4, 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is is love. And the other references that are up there are talking about our ability and our capacity to love. We have that ability. He's given that to us. In that way, he has made us in his image. And there are more. I want to read for you a quote from a guy named Dick Staub. When we fully grasp what it means to bear God's image, We are at once struck with the grandeur of our possibilities and the tragedy of our unrealized potential. To be fully human is to fully reflect God's creative, spiritual, intellectual, communicative, relational, moral, and purposeful capacities, and to do so holistically and synergistically. Furthermore, Though all humans possess this godlike capacities, each of us has the potential to express them distinctively because God's image has been imprinted uniquely in each one of us. Are you here today and thinking you don't have purpose? Are you here today and you don't really believe that God has something for you? He has created you in such a unique way that you can reflect God in a way that I can't. You can be his image and his likeness and reflect that in ways that I could never consider. That's why we're the body. Putting us all together in this place that when the body of Christ comes together, which by the way, even though we are a local body, there's a broader body. And in the end, when we all come together, we will be and reflect that perfect image and likeness of Christ. But he's put it in you. As a human being, you've been made in his image. As a believer in Christ, that image is being perfected. And that image that's being perfected in you cannot be perfected in me because it's how he made you. Are you getting the picture that in us and on us and through us, the essence of us because of how God made us 
is the image of God. You might be saying, but Phil, I'm, you don't know me. You don't know my stuff. You don't, you don't know my sin. You don't know my struggles. You don't know the things that I go through. And I just I feel kind of dirty. To that, I would say, welcome to the club, first of all. I want you to look at these two quarters. On the left is a shiny quarter. It would be presumed that maybe it hasn't been in circulation and that it's perfect. I'm sure that if we took a magnifying glass to it, we could find some flaws. On the right, there's a quarter that's dirty. It's been used. I would assume that it's been in the pocket of a farmer. Um, having grown up on a farm, there are lots of coins that ended up that way in our house. And... You might be sitting here today saying, I'm more like this quarter or I'm more like that quarter. What I want you to understand is this. While one is shiny and one is dirty, they both bear the same image. And in the same way like these coins, while it's not about the physical appearance We're all made in the image of God, and some of us are a bit more shiny, and some of us are a bit more dirty, yet we bear the same likeness of God. And when we enter into a relationship with Christ, he's in the business of perfecting that image. You are his likeness. You are. We can't deny it. There's too much scripture that holds authority to tell us differently. So now what? Now what? I submit to you that you pay your taxes, but even more so, give to God what's God's. Give to him your health and your finances, your marriages, your kids. Give him your life. Why? Well, it's not because he'll love you more. It's not because you'll owe him, you owe him something. It's not because you have to. Understand that God, what God is offering is free. I say that we give to God what is God's one because he loves you. There's no more powerful thing than that for me. He created you to be in this relationship. He's shown us great love by dying on the cross, paying the penalty for our death. And there's no limit to his love for you. You can't outsin his grace. You can't outsin his love, although I wouldn't recommend trying. Jesus has invited you to be in a perfect relationship that he shares with the Father and the Holy Spirit. God's love And he's invited us to partake in that. You know, sometimes I sit and I think about that, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I get to do that? (laughs) Think about what he's invited you into. Before the creation of time, the youth have heard this before. You had this triune being, one God, hanging out in perfect relationship with each other. And I don't know which one of them said it, but somebody said, hey, let's share this. And they all agreed. And God said, let there be, and it all began. 
We were created to be in this perfect relationship with him as image bearers of his and those of us who are in Christ, that image is being perfected. But there's something more. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 23. Pretty familiar psalm. It won't be up on the screen, but as I was thinking about the reality of giving to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what is God's, I'm not really a business guy, but the cost analysis benefit is far better on the God side, I'm pretty sure. So we give up nothing compared to what we receive. Listen to this familiar passage. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul and he guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Catch what this is saying about our relationship with God. He fills you. He saves you. He empowers you. He transforms you. With him, you will want for nothing. And you might say, how is that possible? I want to remodel my house. I want a different car. I want... No, what happens when we walk in this relationship with God, it says if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. That doesn't mean we get the new house. It means our desires are changed to his. And what we want is what he wants, and he provides what he wants in us. Therefore, we want for nothing. In him you will have rest. He brings you peace. He restores your soul. He guides you. You do not have to feel like you're walking through this life alone. He comforts you. He provides for you. He fills you only to be emptied again, and then he fills you again. To be emptied, and he fills you again. There are times when I have like a bowl of cereal, right? And there's milk in the bottom of the bowl. Um, I like to drink it, but there's always a little bit left there. And there'll be dishes in the sink, not because of my wife, but because I just keep piling them up and don't take care of my own dishes. Um, And I'll set that bowl in the sink, and I'll turn on the hot water, right? And it's milky white. And I walk away with the water running because I think I have ADHD or something. I, you know, I just forget. And then I go, oh, yeah, I left the water on. And I go back to the sink. And in the bowl, it's just overflowing with this clear water. And the dishes that were around the side of the bowl that had food on them, that had something on them, maybe some dried mustard or whatever, that, that hot water just overflows onto those dishes, and after a while, it cleans them. Well, I think that's the perfect picture of us being filled with Christ, being filled with His Spirit to be poured out again as we engage in this 
beautiful relationship with God where we're filled with him and it overflows out of us and spills out on the people that are in our circle of influence. Jesus is about the work of cleaning up other people's lives. Not because we got in their face and told them what they were doing wrong, but because we were loving them with the love of Christ that we received from him in the first place. My cup overflows, and surely surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me. He gives us goodness and mercy and eternal life. I would suggest that we render unto God what's God's because he's worthy to be loved, obeyed, served, and honored. How many times do we say the words, God loves you, and we just let it go in one ear and out the other, and we're in church, or maybe students hear me say it because I'm their youth pastor, and they're like, well, you have to say that, you're the pastor. Stop for a minute and receive this. God loves you. He made you in his image. If you've entered into a relationship with him, he's perfecting that image in you. Give your life to God today. Because it's his. If you're already a believer, give to him what you've been holding back. I found that to be the most challenging for me as I prepared for today. Because I'll walk over to the cross and I'll lay it down and I'll walk away for a couple of days and I'll be like, oh, I missed that. And I'll walk back over there and pick it up and I'll look at it and I'll use it and I'll be happy for a moment. And then I remember that God's way is better. What he has for me is better If you've given your life for salvation, let that life of salvation be worked out in rendering to God what is God's. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, I can't encourage you enough to do so. You've been made in the image of God and have the opportunity to have that image perfected in him and live out that image as a reflector of him in this world and eternity. And there's nothing on earth, in my opinion, that's better than that. Recognize as we have that we're all sinners and that Christ died on the cross for our sin. And why did he need to do that? Because the penalty of our sin is death and separation from God forever. Don't let your image be wasted. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you're saved. God says you're saved. And let your life of being saved begin. Being saved isn't something that we just check off our list. Okay, okay, I got that done. I'm good. I know I'm going to heaven. I can move on. Being saved is not the end. It's the beginning. So today, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God. And and remember this, it's all God's.
All of it. Let's pray. Lord, there's there's so many crazy things that, that overwhelm me when it comes to considering your grace. And it's, it's, it's almost hard to even talk to you about it right now. Because a lot of times we just feel like the dirty quarter. And you look at all our stuff and all our sin and all these things we struggle with and all the stuff we run after but you. And you stand there with arms wide open, look us in the eye and tell us that you love us. You're wooing us to you. And I pray, God, that today is the day that we stop fighting that. That we recognize ourselves as image bearers of God, ambassadors of Christ. That we start looking, those of us who are saved, that we start looking at every human being that walks the face of this earth as an image bearer of God. That we don't corner the market on that. That's for all humanity. And the question is, are you calling us and how are you calling us to share Christ with them that that image may be perfected in them? That we can join together as a body of Christ and be that perfect reflection. So God, I pray today that you do whatever work it is you need to do in our hearts. That we would give to you what belongs to you. And that's everything. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed.